Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. I don't know if we have any uh, housekeeping things. I did Extra Life. Oh, yes. How was that? It was good. I only did 12 hours, but it was still fun. Because I was doing the other 12 hours in my sleep. That's right. What games did you play? I saw you were playing some Sonic. I played some Sonic, which I'll talk a bit more about for my recently played. <laughs> I played some Age of Empires 2, and I played Chex Quest, of course, and I played all of the PC Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets game. We ended up raising $320? Nice. $330? Something like that. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what you've been playing recently? So one of the games that I was playing was Sonic Delta Reloaded, a ROM hack of Sonic 3 and Knuckles that has been in development for a very long time, but with the most recent version being released in 2023 as part of the Sonic Hacking Contest. I played this version during the first half of the Extra Life stream I did. It took me about five hours to play through entirely. Um, and that's because the game consists of Sonic the Hedgehog, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Sonic 3, and Sonic and Knuckles, and contains extra levels, levels that were scrapped as part of the Sonic 2 prototypes, and also incorporates elements that were part of early design documents, but never actually made into levels, such as Winter Zone, which was going to be in Sonic 2. It was never actually, there's no artwork of it ever existing. It was just in design documents. Well, they put it in this game. And yeah, it was a lot of fun, but it is a lot. And it took me a very long time to play. Uh, again, about five hours total. And that's because I ended up going for all the Chaos Emeralds in Sonic 3 and Knuckles and all the Super Emeralds uh, so I could get Hypersonic and I could get the good ending. It's It was a fun time. Uh, I will say some of the additional levels they added, I have hit or miss feelings about, but overall it was a, it's a really good ROM hack. It does a good job with it. I think I ended up finishing the game with something like 73 levels lives and a score of like two million or something it was fun i liked it yeah that's sonic delta reloaded uh you could download it for free off of the sonic hacking contest website i think i was watching you play that you probably were i think you messaged me at one point and said you're being quiet or something and it was because i was like concentrating on something and i didn't see your message i didn't have the audio on so i didn't know if you were actually quiet or not i just didn't see your mouth moving yeah i, I started trying to talk to you and you did not respond no that's that's what friends are for and I'm not one of them. Seth, what have you been recently playing? Uh, recently, I've been playing Tunic, which I think I've talked about as recently played maybe uh, a couple of years ago. I think uh, I talked about it as a recent oh, play too. Possibly, uh, possibly. You might have talked about it. We definitely talked about it seeing it at PAX. I think one of our first PAX Pod episodes. Anyway, it was released back in March 16th of 2022. You explore a land filled with lost legends, ancient powers, and ferocious monsters. It's an isometric action game, and uh, you play as a fox who looks a lot like Link. So it's a very Zelda-esque style of game where you play as a fox that looks very similar to Link. However, one of the cool mechanics is that you discover parts of the rule book as and the map as you play through the game. And as you unlock parts of the manual, it teaches you powers, essentially abilities of your character uh, that you can then do because you now have the manual to do it. And I think that's kind of a cool way of teaching you how to play the game without giving you all of the powers up front and teaching you how to use all of them. So you don't, instead it teaches you kind of situationally how you use these powers and then you can use them going forward, which is kind of cool. Also the map and the art style of the game is really good and on point. I really like the art style of the game and how it looks. Also the art style of the manual in the game really harkens back to those classic adventure games 
games from the olden days when manuals meant something. I was playing it on my Steam Deck and it was running pretty good and something happened and I did get a little frustrated. I think I had trouble hot mapping dynamite and then I dropped a bunch of dynamite and almost killed myself. Um, nice. So it wasn't anything frustrating with due to the game it was mostly frustration with my ineptitude of playing games uh as you as listeners of the show know uh we're not really good at playing games we just enjoy being bad at games i did find a nice trick during extra life was instead of hyping myself up i would uh hype myself down so before i did something i would say wow i'm probably gonna fail this but then i wouldn't nice Anyway, with that, we're going to get into today's episode. Uh, So Seth and I were chatting a bit, and Seth messaged me and said, what are we going to talk about tonight? And I said, I don't know. Seth said, have we talked about Kirby? And I said, I don't think so. Yeah, and it actually came from a a fan of the show. We have a fan named Ryan, and he asked me, you ever do an episode on Kirby? And I said, I don't know. And I asked Zach, and he said, I don't know. We went into the archives. Uh, Well, we actually sent our assistant to the archives. And we have not seen him since. I don't know if we have one. Well, not anymore. Yeah, wasn't Producer Doug. Producer Doug does not go to the archives, but... uh... No, no one goes to the archives. The archives are scary. They're full of ghosts. Anyway, we went through the archives. Long story short, using the Dewey Decimal System, we determined we have not done an episode on Kirby. We did talk about Kirby briefly. Back in episode 10, when we covered our iconic video game characters, we did briefly talk about Kirby, and uh, we talked about a fun fact about Kirby, which we're going to reiterate that fun fact, so I'm not going to spoil it. I have a question. You think during that episode we said that we were going to do an episode on Kirby soon? No, I doubt it. We didn't do that back then. That'd be funny if we did, like, uh, if we were like, maybe one day we'll expand on this and do another episode on Kirby, and it was almost 200 episodes ago. I mean, I don't re-listen to episodes ever so i don't think we did but i'm not gonna go find out listeners if you want to revisit episode 10 and let us know if we said that we're going to talk about kirby soon please let us know send us an email to classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com and who knows maybe you'll get a prize yeah i know we do have some listeners who are our classic gaming brother historians uh so if you can get back to our archives or if you know off the top of your hand if we did say that we were going to talk about a kirby episode then let us know maybe we'll give you a free game anyway today we're going to be talking about kirby specifically we're going to talk about the original game kirby's dreamland and kirby's adventure which is the second game because those were released very close to each other the original kirby game kirby's dreamland was created by masahiro sakurai for hal laboratory hal as we talked a bit about in our mother episode was founded in 1980 in chiyoda tokyo by mitsuhiro ikeda the company originally started making games for the msx computer and the commodore vic 20 these early games weren't exactly record-breaking and the company was soon nearly bankrupt when they began developing Metal Slater Glory for the Famicom. What the heck is the premise of Metal Slater Glory? Let me look it up. That sounds like a little MSG. That's what it sounds like to me. Is it full flavor? It's a adventure game. It looks like a, like a point and click adventure game. Like a visual novel style adventure game. Is there a reason that they went nearly bankrupt because of it? Uh, they were just putting in a lot of hours and they did not have a lot of money. There was also a chip problem. It was using the MMC5 mapper and that made the cartridges exorbitantly expensive. And Nintendo was able to sell the boards at a discount so that 
Hal could put out the game because otherwise they would have had to either source the boards with their own money and go bankrupt or charge a lot of money for a game and no one would buy it. Well, look at that. There's Nintendo saving them from the, the bankruptcy. And when Nintendo did save them for bankruptcy, they had one condition and that was that Hal employee Satoru Iwata was going to act as Hal's president. So they installed him as president and saved them from bankruptcy. And Satoru Iwata would later become president of Nintendo yeah um, so i think they saw a lot of promise in this guy awada would go on to be one of the more key players at nintendo and there's actually a series of interviews uh with awada and it's really really fascinating because i think he does this, he does spend some time interviewing different people throughout the company and talking about what they do and stuff like that fascinating fellow and uh, a real key player in video games and in of course nintendo and hal now as a fun fact about hal in 1998 after the release of kirby iwata wanted to design a logo for the company so he tasked an employee shigesato itoi who later would go on to work on mother to design this logo itoi wanted to incorporate the ideas of an unexpected bond which invokes the feeling of the birth of something new and came up with the idea of a dog incubating eggs in a nest which would go on to become hal's official logo and apparently originally no one at hal liked it they did end up keeping it but no one liked it originally but it just kind of stuck but that is their logo today it's a dog sitting in a nest with a couple of eggs it's like incubating them so it's like you know curled up around them now prior to the adoption of this logo hal worked on plenty of video games for nintendo and they became one of nintendo's few second Party developers. In 1992, a developer for HAL, Masahiro Sakurai, began work on a game for the Nintendo Game Boy. Sakurai, who was only 19, came up with the idea of a platforming game where the character would have the ability to inhale enemies and fire them out as attacks. Now, the game was developed on Sharp Twin Famicom, an officially licensed Famicom system created by the company Sharp, which combined the base Famicom unit with a disc system accessory. Sakurai did not use a keyboard to develop the game and instead made use of a trackball and a virtual on-screen keyboard to input individual values, which sounds like torture to me. No one else did this. (laughs) Sakurai was just like, I am the future. (laughs) And people are like, you are nuts. Uh, Sakurai believed that this was how everyone made video games, which no one did, and has since said the process was like using a lunchbox to make lunch, which really is just saying he does not acknowledge why he did it at this time. He was literally convinced it was just the way everyone did it because no one told him otherwise. I don't know if that was just like the culture of Hal at the time was that no one wanted to correct this 19 year old who started putting on a trackpad and like going to town. The character of Kirby himself, who was originally named Popo, was created as a placeholder for a future sprite. Sakurai did want to have a character that was cute and that everyone will love. People at Hal like the placeholder design, they they said, yeah, why don't we just keep that as the character? And people love when that happens. The original title of the game was going to be Popo of the Spring Breeze, and that was later changed to Twinkle Popo. Hal thought about publishing the game independently, but would turn to Nintendo to assist with publishing it as they had issues with getting advance orders filled. Nintendo agreed to publish the game and took over the marketing. During this time, they polled Nintendo of America employees for suggestions, and the name Kirby was picked. The name was actually inspired by real-life John Kirby, who represented Nintendo in the case Universal City Studios 
Inc. versus Nintendo Company Ltd. over Universal's complaint that Donkey Kong was a trademark infringement on King Kong. During this lawsuit, Nintendo, who was represented by John Kirby, argued that King Kong was in the, in the public domain thanks to a prior lawsuit, and the judge ruled that Universal acted in bad faith and had no right over the character. And do you know what I think is hilarious about this lawsuit? Is now Nintendo is going to go into Universal Parks. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it is funny. So, in fact, now Donkey Kong and King Kong may be in the same park at the same time. I just think it's great. It's a fun lawsuit, too, to read about. Uh, Universal tried to appeal, and the court said, no. <laughs> it just dismissed the appeal outright. These type of situations, first of all, come on, really? Donkey Kong, King Kong... King Kong had also already been in a rights dispute prior to Universal trying to claim they had the rights to it. So Universal didn't even know if they had the rights to it when they filed this. Like, they were in a lawsuit with RKO prior to the release of Donkey Kong, which is the case that John Kirby was able to cite. That lawsuit ended up just pushing King Kong into the public domain. And guess what? Now anyone can be called King Kong. Now, needless to say, Nintendo liked the name Kirby. I mean, hey, who wouldn't? like the name of a guy who basically saved the the thing that made you a household name. So, of course, they didn't mind naming a character after him. Now, another interesting note just about Kirby's design was that there was some confusion about his color. Uh, Sakurai reportedly always wanted him to be pink, but the early concept art didn't reflect this. Also, as the Game Boy wasn't in color, Kirby appears white in the game. The American box art shows that Kirby is white. However, the Japanese box art has Kirby as pink. And reportedly, Shigeru Miyamoto has gone on record saying he always believed that Kirby was supposed to be yellow, not pink. Which, I just feel like no one knows what color Kirby was supposed to be, but he's pink now and that's all that matters. I just feel like Shigeru Miyamoto was drunk when seeing. <laughs> like he heard like somebody being like, what color should Pac-Man be? And he's like, always yellow. <laughs> I sometimes imagine Shigeru Miyamoto gets asked things that he doesn't actually know the answer to, so he just makes things up. Because I saw this video once of him answering questions about Super Mario Brothers, and they asked him some random lore question about Mario, and he was just like, yeah, that's right. He's like, do you know who I am? I'm Shigeru Miyamoto. If I say it's right, then it's right. Finally, the game Kirby's Dream Land was released in April of 1992 in Japan and August of 1992 in North America and Europe. Following the release of Kirby's Dream Land, Nintendo was looking to develop a sequel for the NES. Sakurai returned as director and enlisted the help of Takashi Saito, Hiroki Suga, Satoru Iwata, Shigeru Miyamoto, and Tako Shimizu. The original plan was to do a direct port of the game to the NES, but Sakurai felt that NES players were more experienced and they would want a challenge. So he decided he was going to build an entirely new game and make use of the more powerful NES hardware. To expand on Kirby's moves from the first game, the idea to incorporate copy abilities was added. The developers came up with around 40 copy abilities and then trimmed this list down to their favorites to keep in the final game. This would include a sword ability, lightning ability, fire ability, ice ability, and so on. Adding these abilities was believed to be the way to help keep the game retain replay value as players would be able to try out different levels with different abilities. Now as the game was in now in color, they could finally incorporate the fact that Kirby was pink. They also increased the size of Kirby's sprite as response to the feedback from the first game. The sequel titled Kirby's Adventure would go on to be released in March of 1993 in Japan, May of 1993 in North America, and September of 1993 in Europe. Now the gameplay of both Kirby's Dreamland and Kirby's Adventure are pretty similar. They're both side 
side-scrolling platformers. You go through each zone fighting off monsters while also collecting things like stars and other items. The first game, Kirby's Dream Land, has five levels, with each level being broken into different rooms. These rooms are accessed through doors that the player can enter. In Dream Land, Kirby is able to inhale enemies, but cannot absorb their power. Instead, he will either swallow them or shoot them out as a projectile. Kirby can also fly by inhaling and puffing up like a balloon, uh, though only for a limited amount of time before he tires out. And there are also some items that will give you a temporary ability. For example, you can collect spicy curry, which will allow you to shoot fireballs for a short amount of time. In the sequel, Kirby's Adventure, Kirby now has the ability to steal other abilities from enemies that he inhales. So for example, if you encounter a sword-wielding enemy and you inhale them and press down, you will then copy their ability and now you can use a sword. Or if you inhale a fire enemy, you can now turn into a fireball. Yeah, or a guy with a fist. The copy abilities allow Kirby to access new parts of the game, such as certain blocks that can only be destroyed using maybe the ice ability or only destroyed with the fire ability. Or you could even replay levels if you wanted to and just play them in a different way. Maybe you played one level solely using the sword ability, and then you realize that you want to go back and try it with the fire ability. It adds a different dynamic to how you play the game, thus increasing the replay value. Certain copy abilities can be used indefinitely, for the most part, while others do have a limited amount of uses. Now, beyond the character of Kirby himself, there are also other reoccurring characters. Um, so some of the minor reoccurring characters include like Waddle Dee, who is this little ball monster with uh, two eyes and like no mouth, and he just kind of wanders around. Uh, I'm pretty sure in one of the games, Waddle Dee does no harm to you except if you touch him. Like he doesn't charge after you. He doesn't throw anything at you. He's just walking back and forth. If you touch him, he hurts you. So he just gets in the way. <laughs> but there are also some reoccurring, I would call them almost major characters. For example, the villain, sometimes hero, King DDD, who is a penguin, who in some of the games is like Kirby's arch nemesis, almost like Bowser to Kirby's Mario. While in other games, he's Kirby's best friend and they go on adventures together and have picnics. So also kind of like Bowser, <laughs> who will sometimes go go-karting with Mario or play board games with him. There is also the anti-hero of Meta Knight. Meta Knight is, I think, best popularized by his appearance in Smash Brothers. Uh, but he kind of is like Kirby shaped, but has wings and a sword. And he first appears as boss, but he later appears as like, I don't know, some guy that kind of like helps Kirby out when he's in need. Kirby, I think, is interesting because while all the games have different storylines and plots, a lot of times they're very simplistic. So for example, there's like one Kirby game where the whole plot is that Kirby just really wants a piece of cake and he like loses a piece of cake. So then he has to go on an adventure and then he ends up fighting like a giant monster. Uh, there's like other games where Kirby's just trying to like hang out with friends and have a picnic. Like, yeah, it's just what Kirby does. He just, he does simple things because he's a simple lad. But also I think that um before we start talking about uh, how the game did and all that stuff, I think one of the things that we need to mention that I don't think we have written up is that the music in Kirby is amazing oh it's so good everything about it is good Zach will lay in some good good Kirby music I'll put in a smattering of some of my favorite Kirby tracks <laughs>
I think the, the music in Kirby ties back to part of the reason that I feel like the franchises Kirby, Zelda, and Mario were all extremely successful is they didn't just always have a good gameplay loop, but they all have really catchy songs. And we can thank Jun Ishikawa for the music. He was the primary composer for the Kirby games. He's composed pretty much all of the Kirby games alongside other some other composers. Um, so for example, he worked with Hirokazu Ando for many of the games and Tadashi Ikigami for a couple of the games. But for the most part, Jun Ishikawa has literally done if you look up a kirby game he's done the music for it in all fairness his music a lot of the games have very similar sounding music but it's all very good music yeah it's all just great stuff now in regards to how did these games sell uh poorly kirby's kirby didn't go anywhere it was rough they just released these two games and then they went bankrupt jk the first game kirby's dreamland sold incredibly well with around 4.6 million copies selling worldwide by 1997 it quickly became hal's most successful game the game also ranked fairly well with all game giving it a four out of five and nintendo power praising the game noting that it was deceptively simple looking nintendo power giving reviews to hal could be a little biased though since they were a second party developer however the game still had the sales to back it up kirby's adventure also sold well. Topping Famitsu's sales charts in May of 1993, it ranked at number 8 with Super Mario Kart ranking just above it. The game released late in the NES lifespan with the SNES already available to market but this didn't stop people from playing and enjoying the game and go on to buy the future Kirby games to be released on the SNES. Now, Kirby's Adventure scored very highly and was critically well received with one reviewing it, one reviewer comparing it to Konami's Tiny Toon Adventures which is an apt comparison. Uh, Tiny Toon's Adventures is uh, it's a great game. Kirby's Adventure, also great game. GamePro rated the game 20 out of 20. EGM ranked the game as 8.25 out of 10, and Computer and Video Games ranked it as an 89%. Great job for Hal and Zach. Where does uh where does Kirby go from here? Kirby's Dreamland and Kirby's Adventure would just be the start of a massive franchise. With the years to come, there have been 11 additional mainline Kirby games and 16 spin-off titles. An immediate sequel to Kirby's Dreamland was released in 1995 for the Game Boy called Kirby's Dreamland 2, and a Super Nintendo sequel called Kirby's Dreamland 3 was released in 1997. Dreamland 3 is great. Dreamland 3 has this like pastel, almost like hand drawn art style that something about it, it just looks amazing. And it's on the Switch Super Nintendo like add on, so you can play it anytime you want. It's if you have a Switch and also the add on. Now, Kirby's Dreamland 2 and Kirby's Dreamland 3 both incorporate a new gameplay mode where players can ride various animal friends, such as a fish that can swim an owl that can fly, a hamster that can run fast, and a cat. Uh, and I forget what the cat does. But riding these animals with a copy ability equipped will give you a unique attack. So if you have like the lightning ability in the fish, he shoots light bulbs. And if you're, I remember Kirby's Dreamland 3, if you have the lightning ability and you're with the cat, he turns you into a rug and he rubs you on the ground so that you create a static discharge and you like shock things. Oh, that's fun. Now, Kirby's Dream Land would also see a shortened remake in the Super Nintendo title Kirby Superstar, which is Kirby Superstar is not one game. It's kind of a collection of games. Yeah. Kirby Superstar is very equivalent to Mario All-Star. It is. Yeah, except it doesn't have full versions of 
uh, Kirby's Dream Land. It's, it's kind of like a best of Kirby's Dream Land with updated graphics and better gameplay. Well, at least you have to fight that big tree. That's all that matters. Kirby's Adventure was also remade as Kirby's Nightmare Dreamland for the Game Boy Advance in 2002. Also a great game. <laughs> Kirby's Nightmare Dreamland is amazing. I'm just wondering, do you have a tree that blows things in Kirby? But what if what if he was a Deku tree? Oh. Like what if Kirby just came out of nowhere and just Yeah, anyway. I'm trying to remember his his face kind of looks like a He's got like a does he have like um a like in the like a Pinocchio nose? Yeah, he's got a big Pinocchio nose. He's got circle eyes and a circle mouth, and he drops apples and you have to pick up the apples and throw them at him. Yeah, 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 yeah. And in one of the games you can equip fire and you can light him on fire. Perfect. Now, the most recent Kirby game was The Forgotten Land, released in 2022 for the Nintendo Switch. It is a the first fully 3D platformer in the series. That's the most recent mainline, not a remake Kirby game, I should say, because I'm pretty sure there's also a 2023 Kirby game that is a remake. Kirby's Return to Dreamland Deluxe, which came out in 2023. Um, so that is a remake or deluxe version of the Nintendo a Wii game so it doesn't really count but the most recent original Kirby game was The Forgotten Land and that is a fully 3D game it's wild you play as Kirby in a dystopia universe yeah I know you can also eat a car you can eat a car and then you're Kirby as a car I I really like The Forgotten Land uh it's a very casual style you know it's a Kirby game like it's just fun it's not like it's not super difficult it's makes you feel good you do fun things uh you eat cars there's you know sometimes you got games that are tough and puzzle your brains and sometimes you just play kirby um you mentioned the kirby a forgotten land is in a dystopian universe what i love about kirby is in kirby 64 the crystal shards one of the places you go to is shiver star which is not a star it's a planet and it happens to be earth that has been completely frozen over with no more life on it yeah sometimes the stuff nintendo does is secretly very distressing now kirby has also made appearances outside of kirby games uh, specifically in the super smash brothers series which makes sense because hal laboratories is heavily involved in those in fact uh, masahiro sakurai is the like guy behind the most recent smash brothers games so there's a reason why kirby's in those outside of the video games there was also an anime based on kirby called kirby right back at you that was its english name it was dubbed by four kids and i remember watching it as a child it's an okay anime uh one fun fact about that anime is there's an episode where someone gets inhaled by kirby and you see what's inside kirby and it is a never-ending void <laughs> he's like the tardis he's huge on the inside <laughs> it's never ending hungry. there was also a manga series called kirby of the stars so that's our kirby episode kirby is a pink little puffball who causes lots of chaos and he will inhale everything around you i I love the Kirby games. I love Kirby 64 a lot. I think it's a really fun platformer. I also really like Kirby Superstar. I think that has amazing music. I also really like Kirby Adventure. I think that's a fun game. I just Kirby Kirby games just are a good time. I feel like when I play a Kirby game, I go into it being like, I want to play a good platformer. And then I just feel happy the whole time. Like I'm just in a good mood because <laughs> the music's great. Kirby's all cute and being like, 
he just wants a picnic or eat some cake. You know, everyone's innocent in those games, except for the people that you gotta kill. <laughs> now, getting into our retro rewind, Seth had me play a game called Amazon Guardians of Eden. It's a game released in 1992. It's a DOS adventure game developed by Access Software. You play as a guy who learns that his brother has gone missing during an expedition into the Amazon. It's your job to find him. The game has some fun voice acting, and it overall plays like most adventure games from the era do. You walk into a room or a place, you press the eyeball button and look at an object, and the object is described to you. Uh, you then press the hand button, and that activates things. You press the pickup button, and that picks up things. It's exactly what you'd expect from an adventure game. I did think the graphics were a bit muddled. I had trouble telling kind of what objects were, as it looks like a lot of the objects were like photos that they digitized and then made very pixely. Uh, but overall, it's a fun little game. I did like when you use the hand action to interact with things. Sometimes you would click on something and the speech bubble would pop up and just say, okay, but it wouldn't actually tell you what you did. <laughs> I like wasn't sure what I was doing. And then I realized I like turned on a projector and it started playing a movie, but I just like, it was like, okay. It, it overall holds up if you like adventure games. Next week, Seth, I want you to play Act Razor for the Super Nintendo. All right. Now, Zach had me play uh, Fester's Quest, released in North America in 1989 and in Europe in 1990. It's a shoot 'em up game where you play as Uncle Fester from the Adams Family and you have to rescue the world, or at least the town that you're from, from aliens. That makes uh, sense. Uh, UFOs come in and they take everybody away and you have to go and rescue them because uh, that's a plot. The game is a top-down perspective and you play as Uncle Fester and you blast things and you pick things up after you blast them. So there's these aliens that are like goo and you have to shoot them a million times until they die and then you pick up the items from them and they could be puzzle pieces or equipment all that or new guns some of the guns don't shoot right anyway the game has a pretty cool aesthetic because it's from the adams family so it's got that going for it but uh it's a kind of hard nes game i believe we had 8-Bit Steve on, and he wrote a guide for the Fester's Quest because it is incredibly difficult. And the game does have some issues such as flickering, slowdowns, and weapons not behaving the way that they should. Games Radar actually ranked it as the 73rd worst game ever made. And there, I think Angry Video Game Nerd had a uh, game on it where he does not like it one bit. So there are better Adams Family games out there, so I don't necessarily know if it holds up. But if you're a big NES guy, maybe you'll still like it uh next week zach you could play lighthouse the dark being and that's for windows 3.x great i will do that now thank you everyone for listening to today's episode if you have any thoughts about kirby and i don't know you want to tell us about them email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com you can also reach out to us via our website classicgamingbrothers.com or our facebook classic gaming brothers instagram classic gaming brothers twitter cg brothers pod or blue sky cg brothers pod we're available wherever podcasts can be found be it iHeartRadio, Podbean, or iTunes. And with that, Seth, am I forgetting anything? I don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's... That's right.